Welcome to the Tribute to Happiness at Work, at Home, in Life podcast. What is happiness? Where do you find happiness? How do you feel happiness? Do you control your own happiness or is somebody else controlling your happiness? Are you living a meaningful and worthwhile life where you experience joy, contentment and positive well-being? Do you feel happiness at work, at home and in life? In this Tribute to Happiness podcast, you will discover what happiness means to people all over the world and how they implement happiness in their life. Here is your host, Hjeden Svenperson, and with him you'll explore these and other interesting topics. Hello and good morning. You are listening to Iceland's Chief Happiness Officer. So you guys, today we are going to call a country, a, a country, country? Well, there's nothing country about that. But we are calling United Arab Emirates and we are calling Dr. Louise Lambert again. Oh, how could I forget? Hello, hello Louise. How could I forget? What? I know. It's been so long. Maybe that's why. Yeah. What's wrong with me? Well, you are like country. Uh, that's not like, how can you? <laughs> exactly. Don't make me sing country. No. <laughs> well, thank you for the interview last time. Like we were talking about, we had to use mentioned some things that were just like, what and my i got goosebumps because like fear of happiness that is just like what can you have fear of happiness so and then uh, you talked about positive psychology and you talked about happiness index and then maybe the biggest thing is like uh, because we of course we talked afterwards about and then you mentioned happiness at coronavirus and that that I was just like happiness is everywhere. Yeah, but how can we? That is interesting topic. So, uh, just let let us like go through the uh, like the fear of happiness. Where, where can I get some more? Like I would really love to talk about that to somebody. Yeah, yeah. So I will definitely uh, put you in touch with a guy called Dr. Mosen Joshinlu, who I'm sure will be thrilled to talk to you and. Um, so he is the, I don't want to say originator, but basically uncovered this psychological construct called the fear of happiness. And he's got a few other interesting uh, constructs or beliefs around happiness, but the fear of happiness is certainly what he's most known for. And that's the idea that not everybody is as excited about being happy as we think they are. Uh, there are certain places in the world and and certainly not everybody in those places, but um, yeah, there's there's a fear that if you're too happy, something bad will happen. So you will be tempting fate. Uh, there's a fear that if you're too happy, other people in often collective societies may look at you and say, wait a minute, we're all supposed to do the same. We're all supposed to be the same. So if you're so happy, what are you doing, right? <laughs> a little bit of suspicion. Um, and yeah, and then, and then there's kind of a, a fear of losing control if you're too happy. So, you know, let's think about it. When you're really happy, you're not in control. You're just kind of going, woohoo, right? Let's just do whatever. And, 
that's really frightening for some people. But isn't it so when, when you when you when you get when you get in that state, like if you're out of control because you're happy, then you must be on something. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I won't comment on that, no. but. <laughs> I'll leave that. I'll leave that to you. But uh, yeah, but there's certainly this fear of if you're too happy, what are you up to? Right? Because most things in life that are pleasurable, if they're done too much, usually have bad consequences. Well, okay, um, yeah. So I think that's part of the fear. Yeah. Now, now I know what you're talking about. So I will, I will, I will not mention that again. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. They're all confusing people. That, that's like <laughs> that must be so in my culture. If you're too happy, then you're on something. Then <laughs> so, you're doing something really bad. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, that's okay. And then, then we have this positive psychology. How, how, how do you feel it resonates? Because we were talking, but you were talking about well-being. Because happiness, well-being, like there's a lot of words describing this. But how? How are you, like, imp- how can you, these two things, how do they work together? How did you find, like, yeah. the happiness uh, at work, like, chief happiness officer combined to, like, your st- your work with positive psychology? Yeah, so they're, they're exactly the same. Um, so one, so that the happiness at work, chief happiness officer is really the practical side, is, is what do we actually do? Uh, to increase happiness, whereas positive psychology is, is also part of that, but it's more of a science behind it. Yeah. So we're the ones kind of doing the research, trying out interventions, testing to see, does this work? No, it doesn't. All right, we'll stop doing that. Oh, this works really well. Aha, let's keep it up and try it in different contexts, on different people and settings. So positive psychology is really just a branch of psychology that studies empirically what we call happiness but but we call it subjective well-being or life satisfaction because you know we like to sound smart so we make everything really complicated um but positive psychology is really just the science behind it and then the happiness at work is the doing yeah because yeah, so one stems from the other yeah lots of uh, comments that uh, people when when they hear about positive psychology the negative side is that men, they always start talking about, oh, is this uh, something mumbo-jumbo? I don't give a... I don't want to. Uh, uh. So it's just like, do you think there is a, 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 a cultural or, or, or a gender, like, uh, something to do with it? Or are men equally... equally... Uh, good taking okay, positive psychology in... This is interesting. Uh, I mean, certainly in the field of positive psychology, we have plenty of men, lots of male researchers. So, you know, and if we look at the research, I mean, everybody would say they want to be happy in life. Um, But if you look at things like courses on happiness or courses in positive psychology, basically just self-help in general, personal development, these tend to be dominated by women. Uh, so I don't know if that's, uh, you know, I'm okay. I don't need to do anything different. I don't need happiness. You know, this is like more around gender roles. Um, but certainly if I'm working with men, I use different languaging. Yeah. 
than I would if I'm working with women. It's the same thing. You just, yeah, you, you just use the language that's going to appeal to people. Yeah. So for some people, happiness, I hate that word. They think it's kind of stupid and fluffy. Um, but then if we talk about, you know, being satisfied with life and being proud of your accomplishments and having a meaningful existence, they're, yet, they're like, oh, I'm all about that. And it's like, well, <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I just think it's how we market things. Yeah. If something is in pink or something is in blue, but it's the same razor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that that's uh, another thing we can work on, like, for, for so they people can... You can say the same thing in a different words, and they they will understand, and they yeah. will get on board. Yeah. So exactly. you, yeah. you mentioned something about the happiness index, and... and uh, did I hear you say, or is it in my imagination that the happiness index, uh, the intention of like measuring happiness, is not about the well-being, but about spending money? Uh, so not quite about spending money. So the idea around the happiness index, um, which was developed by John Halliwell at the University of British Columbia in Canada and his team, was to basically start putting importance on happiness. And we know, I mean, just worldwide across all the sciences, if you can measure something, people pay attention to it. If you can't yeah. measure it, nobody cares about it. Yeah. And certainly when you start putting things in rankings, you know, we're competitive in nature, and now everyone's like, is that a thing? <laughs> so his idea was really to make happiness, really a, a well-being, something that is serious, but also something that can guide national policy development. That was the idea. And that if we can look at countries, and there is a large amount of overlap um, between GDP and well-being. And that is why there's a lot of criticism about the world happiness ranking so the idea is good that we need to take this seriously because well-being is about health outcomes education outcomes um you know relationship employment finance it's about uh, trusting government it's about environmental outcomes and when countries score really well on all of those happiness you know people tend to be happier um the issue with the world happiness index is the way it gets measured so Gallup uh, asked uh, a whole series of questions to people around the world in all different countries, and they do it really well. So they might pull uh, several hundred or several thousand, depending on the population of the country. And one, only one of these countries, or uh, sorry, only one of these questions is what gets used for the World Happiness Index. And that's the criticism. And the one question that they use is called the Cantrell's Ladder. Cantrell's Ladder is, so the actual question is, imagine your life as a ladder, one being the lowest, and, again, I should have looked it up. It's either seven or ten being the highest. I think it's one to ten. Um, where, where would you rate your life right now? That's the question. Yeah. That's it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that question. But people generally, when we ask that question, think about how comfortable their life is. And when we map it, so that the correlation is very high 
between this Cantrell's ladder question and the GDP, uh, the, the, the amount of income that people have. And that's the issue. So at the end of the day, people are saying, well, are we really measuring people's happiness or are we really measuring the GDP of a country? And so you mentioned earlier that it was the, the Nordic countries that were in the top five. Yes, that is true. These are also countries that have very strong social nets. Yeah. So if people lose their jobs, they're taken care of. If, uh, you know, maternity leave is some of the longest in the world and you have paternity leave. Yes. Uh, some countries don't even have 30 days. Some countries have nothing. And so the more you take care of people and you take care of their basic needs, their psychosocial needs, the higher their, their happiness ranking goes up. But that is fueled by money. Uh, so this is why countries like, um, you know, Saudi Arabia actually score very high on the happiness index. Now, some people would go, uh, wait a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So I won't get into that country, but, you know, this is where we see that there's certain examples that don't really make sense, and it's because the GDP is so high. Yeah, yeah. yeah so one of the papers that I've... Sorry. No, you're sorry, sorry. Okay. Yeah, so one of the papers um, that I just published actually this month, uh, and that came from a working group that I went to last summer in Japan with a number of researchers, including Dr. Mosen Jasamu, was to think about uh, how can Gallup ask broader questions that include aspects of culture, so that when we're asking people questions like the Cantrell's Ladder or other questions, it reflects more of what matters to people in different uh, countries. And so rather than just rely on this one question for the World Happiness uh, Index, that we would get a more complex look at what happiness is really about. And it includes things like um, environmental well-being, financial well-being, religious well-being, um, fulfilling duties to one's society, to one's parents, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, uh, how meaningful does somebody find their life, how purposeful, um, there's lots of different variations. And so it may be the case that the Nordic countries score very high on what we call hedonic well-being, feeling happy right here, right now, because you're up to something bad. <laughs> but but they might score very low in meaning, whereas religious countries tend to score very high in meaning, but perhaps lower in that hedonic well-being. So when we use many different indicators, now suddenly the ranking will look different, and that's what we're advocating for. But it can't just be about money, because there's more to life than money. Yeah. Um, but we need a more nuanced look. So my guess is. You, what, what we hope, what we hope um, would come from this paper we just published, um, we've come up with a few alternative questions which Gallup has agreed to take on this year. So they will include those in their interviews with participants around the world. Uh, they're going to take on the other half of those questions next year. But we're going to start seeing maybe a little bit of movement in the rankings be more reflective of different types of happiness. Yeah, that's exciting. So that's kind of my issue with the rankings. Yeah, it's it's a bit too narrow at the moment. Yeah, 
Well, that was the discussion of happiness index. <laughs> so let's let's move on and talk about happiness at coronavirus or coronavirus before or after. No, we we have to like this will be very interesting because how can you be and stay happy regardless of the uh, situation? Like happiness at coronavirus, happiness at COVID nineteen. How? Yeah. <laughs> because it, it it is like you well, ha- you have to keep your insanity. Yeah, this is going to be a real challenge um, over the next couple of months in a number of ways. So one, um, so one of the things that I had. You know, we're on both on this WhatsApp group, right? Yes. For the woohoo. And I remember when this pandemic first started, I made the comment saying, do we need to move away from happiness and towards resilience? And nobody said anything. <laughs> and I thought, oh, maybe that was a bad place to put it in a woohoo happiness group. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but, but I, I really think there's something there's something to be said there. And I think if we keep the definition of happiness as smiles and, you know, having fun and enjoying life and experiencing positive emotions and all of these things matter, I I have no issue with any of that. But increasingly we are heading for a very difficult future Um, to a degree health wise, but I think more than anything is economic. Uh, this week alone, uh, here in the UAE, the two national airlines laid off thousands of people in one day. Um, and I think globally, we're already seeing that. We will continue to see that over the months. And I think this is where the shift may be to changing our definition so that it doesn't alienate people rather than calling it happiness at work. You know, maybe, and, and I don't know what the appropriate word is, but I think it's about how do we take care of people's mental health and well-being, particularly for the people who are being laid off yeah. and will have a very uncertain economic So we know when these situations happen from previous crises that the number of suicides goes up, mm-hmm. um, alcohol, drug addiction goes up, homelessness goes up, crime goes up, uh, social trust drops, really bad outcomes. And so I think it's imperative, it's, it's urgent even for organizations, if they must lay off people, to think about how do we do this in the kindest and most responsible way and the least do that. Um, I've heard of people getting fired in three minutes on a Zoom call. It's oh, devastating for people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's it's vital, it's critical for governments to start thinking about we need to take care of people in a hurry because once once that that negative snowball starts rolling, where you're getting you know bankruptcies, suicides, all of these things that happen, this has been secondary effect on families, on communities, on society, and this causes irreparable damage. So I would like to see the 
happiness at work movement, you know, I don't want to say maybe be a little bit less happy, but more, more mindful or cognizant that we, we need maybe a little bit more and we need to broaden our sphere of influence. How do we take care of everybody, particularly those who are not happy at the moment and, and take care of people? Mm. But and has, not say to them, "You need to be happy." This is this is devastating. Yeah, but 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 is it is that the? Um, I don't know because I I remember when you posted the uh, resilience thing, like the word resilience. Yeah. But I, and I think that in the weeks after, I started to hear people focusing on yeah. resilience because then it shifted it from like, yeah, like it it shifted from like mm. happiness or uh, like you had it was just it is in the long run but what i find I- interesting when you talk about resilience is that we had a global crisis financial crisis in 2008 like here in iceland it's just like it took everything away like it was just devastating and in the same time as they said like okay we're having this crisis and it will take 10 to 10 years and people just like buckled up and just okay resilience like th- then i think about resilience but it is like now it's just like why don't we why because when in the finances crisis people got laid off work and yeah. stuff like it's very similar but it's now what why is it that the effect because if we talk about the, the in like that the virus is just for six months or for eight months or we are waiting for a vaccine or do you know what I mean? Because it's, it's, it's a shorter amount of time, hopefully. <laughs> but like, yeah, why, why is it that, the, that this, like if we know that the finance, financial crisis is going to be one year, five years, 10 years, then it's okay. And we just like, we just, tighten our belts a lit, little bit further. But in this type of pandemic, then we just go like mental, afraid, fear. Yeah. There's a lot of like, what, what, why? Can you like, do you follow me what, what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, and I think in many ways, again, I'm not an economist, so I can't speak to the, you know, the, the scale of this, but it, it's, Seems to me, you know, when you look at some of the projections that financially this will be even worse than 2008, um, and they're comparing it in certain parts of the world that this is going to be like the 1930s, the Great Depression. Now, hopefully that doesn't happen, but that is certainly what it's looking like. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, and I think there's a, there's, there's a great amount of fear and. I think it's a little bit past the pandemic, you know. Yes, it will take maybe a year for a vaccine. So that is still not over. But at least we can manage that to an extent. It's the damage that has caused to certain industries. So if you look at the airline industry, it's, I don't want to say practically decimated, but it took a massive hit. So it wasn't just the slowdown. It was some industries are just dead. Yeah. Uh, or, or near, you know, not far off the resuscitation point. Um, so I think for many people, this is causing a huge amount of stress. It's, it's not just, okay, well, 
there's a job there, I'll go there, or I can reinvent myself a little bit, it's my whole industry. I don't even know how, you know, so I'm thinking of these pilots this week who got laid off. I don't know what pilot skills translate to. No, I'm sure there's going to be thinking around that, but there are some careers that are very difficult to reinvent yourself. Yeah. Um, so I think we're, you know, there's a lot of fear and anxiety, and particularly when it comes to finance. When you can't feed yourself, you can't feed yourself. And that's kind of a, the bottom line. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I think you, you raise a good point, and it's what do we need to do as a, as a industry, if you will, that is, you know, the happiness industry, how do we prepare people for maybe what is still to come? Because there will still be more layoffs. So I think resiliency is one of those things. But to be thinking about, you know, do, do people need to be reskilling, retooling, thinking about, you know, does this mean the end of my career? And, and what do I do about that? Um, how do we start cutting corners financially and tightening our belt, as you said? But also, the other thing that struck me this week is, you know, those people who did not get laid off. So now you're sitting there at work today. Half of your office is gone. And you're just sitting there like, you know, is my turn next? Mm. Or, oh, my gosh, all of my friends, like, how come I didn't get laid off? They all did. You know, how do how do companies... Um, come back from that? How do individual employees come back from that? How do you kind of go, oh, okay, let's start enjoying work again. Um, how does that happen? What's the process for that? So I put myself in the shoes of those employees and I think, I don't know if I'd be ready to go, oh, I made it and be all happy because at the same time, there's still a sense of grief because nobody else made it. And, then, and you, there's kind of a survivor's guilt, right? Like. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's a big I, I question. Think, yeah, yeah we're, we're going to need to get, yeah, and I think we're going to need to be creative as well with how, how do we support people, how do we help people in the same way that organizations too will need to think about, again, how do we do this in the kindest of way? So it's not just, okay, good luck everybody, but, you know, do we offer employees that were laying off career, um, you know, career, counseling uh you know six months of you know free upgrading through an online service to learn new skills do we does everybody automatically get letters of reference can we help people network with our own connections even though we've had to let them go can we at least help them find jobs mm. uh, you know these are things that organizations will need to think about as well as how, how do we how do we do this in the nicest way possible? Because our remaining employees are also looking at, at what we're doing too. Yeah. Isn't it also like I have been uh, participating in uh, 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 like meetings on, on Zoom <coughs> after the mm. like Zoom, the technology is great. Humans humans first. And, and the, the, what we are talking about is that the companies, they have to start looking at like people as assets. Because here in Iceland, we had this one company which, like, last year paid the owners 
I'm going to say billions because it's like so way out of my range. Like I, I can't fathom like the the amount that they paid the owners. And in the second, the tourists like went like they were not coming. They laid people off, and people were just like, "What? How can you treat your employees like that? What is that kind of social, like, um, what do you call it?" Um, responsibility social responsibility that you have like when the things are going well then you like advert and you talk about we are great we are this and then in the same second that 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 it's the turnover then you just okay thank you sorry we can't keep you like don't we can you see that the future will change in that aspect hope it does you know and at the same time you know to be fair to the organizations i mean that your industry is really decimated how, how long can you afford to keep people on and does it make sense to shed them quickly if we can say that which is a horrible horrible way to think of it or does it make sense to just kind of you know let's try and make it let's try and make it and hope we do, because the industry might not recover for 12, 14, 16, 18 months. Um, you know, I think these are difficult questions. But certainly, I mean, one of the things I think that is going to come out of all of this is people will see their organizations differently and, and judge them differently as well. Mm. Not just the job, but it's, you know, what kind of a working relationship, what is our social contract? going to look like at this point um and and i hope it does i you know that organizations also recognize that they have a responsibility to the people that they've hired as well you're not just giving jobs and pay in compensation for that work but you also have a moral responsibility to making sure people are safe and protected for as long as that is possible so I think some some of these relationships are going to be tested and renegotiated over time, uh, and and hopefully uh, this will improve the working landscape. But yeah. who knows what the future holds? Well, there's a lot to think. There's a lot to think think about. I know, and it's a little bit discouraging. And so we're supposed to be talking about happiness. <laughs> yeah, but in the same in the same time, yeah. because we we have to be positive and we have to like yeah. like the word I like the word resilience because it it yeah. is like it's not it's not the sixty meters run it's not the one hundred meter run life is a marathon and you have to yeah. like it's up and downs and like we talked about last time ha happiness is not or positive psychology is not that you are going to smile every other day like or every day every minute every yeah. second because everybody has their ups and downs but you can choose how you deal with it right and at the same time um the, the, the conditions in society also play a role yes. so sometimes it's less of a role i think at the moment it might be a bigger role <laughs> Um, so I think, you know, it's just a recognition that it, 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 it is going to be harder for people to be able to make some of those decisions 
you know, it's well and good to say be optimistic, and, and there's definitely room for that. But at the same time, be thinking about work and, and how you may need to reinvent yourself and what that is going to mm. look like so that you can continue to be hopeful. Yes. Difficult questions ahead, for sure. Yeah. It'll be a, another podcast, I think. I think so. But I, I would, like, thank you again for being and, and like, being able to talk to me because the, you you learn a lot when you talk to great people <laughs> so I thank like, you so much and uh, yeah I, I hope this is useful well I I enjoyed it so I hope like I hope other other ones will enjoy it and I, I just thank you for your positivity thank you for being being there thank you for being my friend and stuff and i hope you will enjoy the uh, summer uh, the the hot summer of dubai <laughs> isn't it something about 50 <laughs> 60 degrees <laughs> celsius in i am 100 no yes i am grateful i am grateful in iceland it's just 15 degrees so <laughs> 15 so that's <laughs> oh i would love that i would love that so, but yeah, uh, I can't even go outside. I'm gonna pass out. Yeah, but uh, thank you. But thank you so much, and now uh, let's keep having these conversations. Yes, for sure. that is, and resilience, happiness, that is what we work with. So, thank you very, very much, and we keep in touch. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 This has been the Tribute to Happiness podcast. Tune in for next week's episode. You'll find us on social media.